Amazing. So we are uh, continuing in our series in John's Gospel. And um, while this loads and comes up, um, we are in John 6, um, which we've reached an interesting point um, in Jesus' life. Uh, So far, we've been considering uh, already how John wrote this gospel to basically make the case for why Jesus is worth believing in. And uh, today, we've reached the first of seven statements, seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. And uh, today, we're looking at Jesus' claim to be the bread of life. Um, If you've ever asked, what is God like? What is Uh, Jesus-like, that's going to be a question to consider uh, as we uh, move through this passage. Um, What is Jesus saying about himself here? So I'm going to invite up um, Paul, who's going to do our reading, uh, and then we're going to um, work our way through considering what we need to do um, as hungry people to be satisfied uh, by the bread of life. So yeah, Paul. Good morning. So we're in from John chapter 6. So if you have it on your phone or paper Bible, you can follow it there and you can follow it on the screen as well. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they, that's the crowds who've been followed him, found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what, was, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, I ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, also give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Paul. Now, um, if you're here for the first time, uh, or are just exploring the Christian faith, that was very confusing. Um, uh, it sounds a bit like there's a, a bread man. Um, it's a slightly awkward back and forth dialogue. Um, but I, I think you're going to come to see uh, that what Jesus has to say here, what he's talking about, may have more significance for your life than you might possibly know. Um, what is the best carb, in your opinion? Um, this is an icebreaker question that a friend of mine uses regularly. Um, I'll give it to you for free. Um, obviously, the best carb is bread. Um, I had to pick that with our passage today. Um, though I am quite happy, genuinely, to, to argue that out later. Clearly, bread is a topic of conversation uh, that regularly features for me. Uh, just last month, I was invited onto a radio show to discuss bread, um, which <laughs> we, can, we can chat more about that as well. Uh, and as I was preparing for this, I was remembering that um, the first time I met Mr. Finch, John Finch, um, was actually about nine months before John and Hannah moved down to Southampton. And we had a conversation about bread. Um, in that conversation, John confessed that the thing he was most desperate to find when they moved to Southampton was a decent independent bakery to collect his freshly baked sourdough from. <laughs> Hipster Vickers, yeah. Um, and graciously, the Lord has provided uh, in Biglands Bakery and Hoxton Bakehouse, uh, many other independents, amen. Um, so, maybe you share John's desire for delicious, freshly baked sourdough. Um, but I want us to consider a deeper hunger than that. Whether you think of it spiritually or not, hunger and dissatisfaction are, are all around us. Whether it is with the systems that we see, political systems, or just as we look around our community, we can feel a dissatisfaction. Perhaps you're aware of a deeper dissatisfaction in yourself. Perhaps an inner desire for a fulfilled life that is comparable to hunger, to thirst. To consider our context for today's story, we find a people who are feeling that kind of hunger, that dissatisfaction. But just the afternoon before this, we have had one of Jesus' most well-known signs, the feeding of the 5,000. It's a story that I think we've likely all got some kind of reference point with. Jesus is in the midst of his campaign, preaching about the kingdom of God in the wilderness. Uh, and the problem with the wilderness is that there's no food trucks uh, where you can pop along uh, when you get hungry in the intermission, uh, pick up a pizza and go back. The people Jesus is speaking to are, are largely uh, incredibly poor. Uh, farmers, many who are living off the land but have no surplus uh, in their life. So Jesus ends up demonstrating his compassion and his power by taking the lunchbox of a young boy, five loaves, uh, five fish and two loaves, and he gives thanks for it and feeds 5,000 people with it. Imagine what it would have been like to be amongst that crowd, slowly realizing as the bread 
was brought out by the disciples and never ran out. In fact, after everyone in this crowd had eaten their fill, they end up collecting in 12 basketfuls of loaves. There is so much left over. For the people sat eating the miraculous provision of bread and fish, this would have conjured up Memories of a story that they would have learnt about. Uh, This is a story of the Jewish people thousands of years earlier in the wilderness. Uh, After the exodus where God had freed his people from slavery in Egypt and led them into the wilderness, the people became desperate. They turned to Moses and to God uh, because they were hungry. They were so hungry that turning back and going back to Egypt into slavery looked like a better option. And in his compassion and power, God provides for them in the form of manna, bread from heaven. Uh, This story of manna provided through Moses was a reference that would have hit the people miraculously fed by Jesus. Part of why they would have been gathered to hear from Jesus in the first place was because they've been looking for a king who could be like this, a king who could provide for them. They were desperate for a prophet with power and here Jesus is with the power to provide in incredible ways. Jesus is going to show them what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he brings, but it's going to be completely different to the expectations of the people. Um, Jesus often didn't want his miracles to get in the way of his teaching. So what he would do is he would perform the miracle and then retreat. And again, that's what's happening here. Jesus has fed 5,000 people. Uh, Then he's taking off to escape the crowds a little bit. Word gets round. They say, come on, let's follow him. They beeline back to Jesus. And that's where we get to. Um, All because... They have eaten the bread he's given them. Uh, It's important, I think, that John calls the miracles of Jesus signs. Uh, As I understand it, there is a Greek word for miracles, but John chooses instead to use the word signs. It's like the signs that point you around to the toilets, uh, which without, no one would ever find the toilets. Um, It's exactly that kind of signs. It's something that should point us to something. So here in the Gospels, these signs are visual aids for spiritual realities. They're acted out illustrations that communicate who Jesus is and what God is like. There is a meaning of the feeding, but what we see is that the people don't see it. In verse 26, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's challenging them for not having fully seen the significance of the sign. They've seen something, but not everything. One commentator puts it this way, instead of seeing in the bread the sign, they see in the sign only the bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I, I want to focus on the first, uh, first on the life part, and then we'll come back to the bread part in a little bit. 
I want us to start by thinking about the life goals of the culture around us. Much as we've considered the, the hunger, dissatisfaction, what is it that we want from life? Here's an extract of a poem uh, titled When Death Comes by the poet Mary Oliver. And it touches on this desire for fullness of life. When it's over, I want to say, all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of arguments. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. And what's striking from these words first is that often we know more about what we don't want from life we don't want to miss out. We don't want to be disappointed or living in fear or in conflict. Then what I think this captures really well is the kind of meaning and purpose that we want from life. We want to draw wonder, amazement from our lives. And it can be hard to find wonder and amazement, can't it? Um, I don't know if you know who this chap is. Um, yeah, um, maybe, maybe you've seen him on TikTok. Um, I didn't know his name. I, I simply knew him as the train man. Um, so he is a chap called Francis who uh, has gone viral on TikTok um, and now has his own TV show purely through his excitement and love of trains. And I think what's amazing about this chap is that he, he lives a life of wonder it's a wonder about trains. He is literally that happy um, all the time when around trains. I think he captures this idea that, that we want our lives to be full of, of enjoyment and delight and wonder. Jesus is talking about deep, rich, transcendent life in himself. A life of wonder. Verse 27, he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. He wants this life to last in us forever. Not to be focused on that which will go stale, that which will perish. This phrase, eternal life, might conjure up different images for different people. Uh, often it, when we think about eternal life, about heaven, and people think of it as like a, an, an all-inclusive stay uh, in the clouds. Like the bar will never run out. There'll be all the food you want and you can stay in the pool all day. Um, but eternal life is a phrase that Jesus uses to capture this idea of abundant life, joyful life found in relationship with God that can begin now. It's not something we have to wait for. So I want to get a little bit practical and consider three challenges in parallel with three truths that can help us as we follow um, and want to experience and enjoy the reality of Jesus as the bread of life. So they're going to be three things, distraction versus abundance, duty versus gift, and apathy versus devotion. Are we awake? Is that all right? Yeah, great. Um, so, first challenge for us to consider, distraction versus abundance. 
People in our story are distracted with material things. The bread that filled their stomachs is all they can think about. And it's stopping them from seeing Jesus clearly for who he says he is. We are in an age of distraction. We are digitally distracted to the max. Um, I'm not about to launch into a, an anti-tech uh, rant or suggest we need to return to a, an archaic, technologyless uh, lifestyle. But I, I think we can agree there's a problem. Um, how often have you heard someone or, or said yourself, I think I need a, a detox from my phone? Um, hands up, how often have, have you heard that phrase, detox from your phone, detox from tech? Yeah. Um, the if you think about it, you only need a detox from something if it's toxic. Now think about what that means. Think about things that are toxic to us. The culture that we're in does not encourage us to live in a way that the rich, transcendent life that Jesus offers can take root. There's so much of the pace of life, the activity, the content of our news cycle, the endless scroll of videos on the app or the other app. Um, I think there are only two apps that Gen Z use. So it's, it's all distraction. Um, that, that went down, yeah. There. <laughs> the Christian poet T.S. Eliot describes it this way, that we are distracted by distraction, uh, from distraction by distraction. To people distracted, much like us, frustrated, oh, fixated with, with material things, focused only on their own ideas of a king and what he should be. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That is only a claim that God could make. He speaks of an abundance of provision, just like the abundance of the basketfuls left over at the feeding of the 5,000. He doesn't just give them just enough to keep them going. He gives them more than they can manage, so much that there is all these leftovers. He promises to give them abundant life. And whoever comes to him will be nourished at the deepest level. That is whoever comes to him. It's not just the religious. It's, it's not just for a certain set of people. Anyone who comes to him will be deeply nourished by him. A few years ago, in the midst of COVID, uh, my brother Dan started to follow Jesus and take seriously what that meant for his life. And to watch the transformation Jesus made, has made in his life has been an absolute joy. I'm just a week ago, we were chatting and remembering how obsessed uh, many years earlier Dan had been uh, with his work. Uh, he had set up a business starting uh, to sell vintage clothes, which had developed at university to become a shop and then became a bigger shop. Um, and Dan said to me last week, there is so much more to live for now. Still have the business, still love clothes, but there's much more in Jesus than that old life. Jesus gives abundant nourishment to whoever comes to him. How sad it is 
than that Jesus says to the people in verse 36, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. See, in replying to the crowd, Jesus identifies the nature of the bread that they should be looking for. Not ordinary bread at all. Not sourdough, but... Uh, or anything material really, but the man whom the Father has sent from heaven who will give spiritual life to all. So at the point Jesus declares he is the bread of life, he's taken the crowd uh, beyond their focus on manna, on bread from heaven, showing that manna was only ever intended to be a sign, pointing beyond itself. All of these signs, including this food metaphor, are to remind us of the future rescue that is to come. And the remainder of chapter six really uh, speaks to the rescue that Jesus is going to bring. And much later in the gospels, uh, there will be a point where we read that Jesus is with his disciples. He takes bread, he gives thanks for it, he breaks it and he says to them, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. It is ultimately Jesus' death that is his route of rescue. This is the kind of king that he is. A servant king whose death leads to eternal life. Through his death on a cross, we can know life. Through his resurrection, we can know the abundant life we were created to enjoy. And it is an abundant life that Jesus invites us to have. A few weeks ago, we looked in our series at John 4, where Jesus describes this as living water that will bubble up inside of us. When we trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for ourselves, like water he promises to to fill us, washing out and taking all our sin and shame and guilt and in its place he leaves his joy, his peace and his hope. Overflowing life. Um, It was so encouraging last week, wasn't it, to hear the stories of people who were getting baptised. And that is is just one aspect, one wonderful moment uh, of them enjoying that overflowing life. But we continue to need to be filled, continue to need his spirit um, to be with us, giving us that life. So our first challenge from experiencing the life on offer to us is distraction. But we can uh, overcome that by looking to the abundant life that Jesus offers us. Um, Now our second point is duty versus gift. Duty is where obligation overtakes love. For me, I I can remember a a fairly pivotal moment in my life of realising that I had slipped into duty when I was a student. Uh, I'd been a follower of Jesus for most of my teenage life. And when I got to university, I was a keen bean and I got stuck into everything. Um, By the January of my first year, I was on two committees and of uh, Christian organisations, organising social outreach uh, and evangelism and mission. And uh, all of that made me very busy, alongside a degree that I was doing, um, <laughs> with, with some friends. Uh, we had also, we, for this week, we had arranged a week of 24-7 prayer. 
And uh, throughout the day and night, we were just doing it in someone's student house. And on the first day of that week, a friend quite perceptively uh, asked me, how is your joy? And I was a little bit stuck because it's not that I was completely joyless. Um, Life had been full of lots of great things. But if I was honest with myself, I realised in that moment that I had had a mentality uh, that I needed to do the things I was doing and not doing so out of an overflow of the generous grace and joy in Jesus. Um, I spent the rest of the week unravelling and uh, realising the ways in which I'd relied on my own strength and not God's. I had not turned to his depths of love and life but had gotten by with what I had. And whether you're busy or not, maybe you can relate to that. Um, I don't just think it's busyness that can drive us to a place of duty. Can I encourage you, though, if spending time with Jesus feels like Christian homework that needs to be done first thing in the morning, um, you need a fresh revelation of the grace of God. It is a gift to you. And it's a continual thing to rely upon that grace, receive the life that Jesus gives us. Verse 28, people ask, what can we do to perform the works of God? Their motives are revealed here. They are purely thinking of the material again. What can we do? Jesus, how can we do some works in order to achieve this in our own strength? This is the work of God, Jesus says, that you believe in the one he has sent. Life of Jesus, uh, the life Jesus offers has a low bar of entry. It is simply to believe. And yet it is costly. To believe is to set aside our previous ways of living. Places Jesus' ways above our own. It is no small thing, but it is a simple thing to believe. And uh, the people's reply to this immediately reveals that they are willing to believe only if Jesus conforms to their ideas of what a king should be. Um, Here we get the stupidest question in the entire Gospel of John. What sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? Jesus has just done a miracle reminiscent of Moses uh, and the provision of manna. But they don't see the significance of the sign and will not believe his claims. So they ask for another miraculous sign. They're so obsessed with their own ideas um, of what a king should be, of what a rescuer will do. And Jesus comes and they don't recognise him. I think there's a challenge here Uh, for us. The people are impressed by the filling of their stomachs, but they are still not listening to his word. Will we take seriously the words of Jesus and their impact for us in our lives? Are we willing to look and see what the signs are pointing us to, who the signs are pointing us to? Um, One final thought on duty versus gift. As you go on with your life and inevitably bump up against duty, um, be gentle to yourself. 
Grace is something we need daily. And so if this feels like it resonates, can I encourage you as strongly as possible to renew your starting point, seeing the life of Jesus offers as an undeserved gift. So duty versus gift. Final point. Um, Apathy versus devotion. We're still all right. We're going, yeah, okay, cool. Um, It's been said that the opposite of love isn't hate, but apathy. Apathy really is is a lack of interest. And similarly to duty, it can kind of uh, drift into your daily life and can really significantly impact your spiritual life. I want in this just to, to speak to those who might be feeling a sense of apathy has snuck in. Um, how do we move out of it? Well, the antidote really is a close walk with the Lord Jesus, wondering at the grace of God. It is devotion. It is a life of devotion. Just as the signs point us to Jesus, we need habits that help us to do what this ancient hymn describes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus' invitation is to a life of wild wonder and it won't happen by accident. Um, It takes intentionality in forming patterns, practices of life that will fuel our devotion with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not about to completely contradict myself here and give you a to-do list, um, as as we've just spoken about duty. I'm not suggesting to-do lists. Um, I've already established that this rests solely upon the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. There is nothing we can do to be loved anymore. But these are some of the ways, perhaps, that can practically help us to fuel our joy that will help us to delight in him. Now, the first is community. Um, can I encourage specifically those of you... Um, oh, no. The, first off, the patterns of devotion, we often think of them in isolation. As if for us as individuals, um, they're not just improved by community, but it is vital that we're doing them within community. For each of the things we've discussed, when we're walking on our own, we are more likely to become distracted. Um, God's people are the tangible grace of God to us that keeps us from a life of duty. And we need other people to help point us to worship Jesus and delight in him. So this summer, while tables are largely going to stop meeting over the next few months, can I encourage those of you in tables not to lose track of encouraging one another, um, to be active on the WhatsApps uh, over the next few months, and also to be mindful of those who are here, part of our community, wanting to join a smaller community, Um, be inviting them to socials, um, over for dinner, things like that. One starting point today of, of jumping into devotion is to dwell on the things we've considered upon the truth of God, his compassion and power revealed in this sign. And we can do so from God's own words in the Bible. Um, This quote from Eugene Peterson, I think is 
So helpful. It's a bit long, um, but it's too good. Look at the world with childlike wonder, ready to be startled into surprise delight by the profuse abundance of truth and beauty and goodness that is spilling out of the skies every moment. Cultivate a framework of adoration. And then practice this framework of adoration in the reading of Holy Scripture. Feast on the bread of life. That's basically what he's saying. Feast on the bread of life. Where we have a life of devotion, a framework of adoration. Time spent with Jesus in the morning is no longer Christian homework, um, but it's a worship exercise. It is time to spend with the God who created the universe, who is mind-meltingly big, incomprehensible, beautiful, and holy, and perfect, and righteous, and somehow loves us and wants to spend time with us. So it's wrapping up. The hunger and dissatisfaction of our hearts is met in Jesus alone, the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never go hungry. Whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. That eternal life is offered to us through Jesus, death and resurrection. So will we respond to the one who feeds the multitudes by believing he is who he says he is? Will we wonder afresh at his goodness and beauty today? And as we consider the many things that can get in the way of us experiencing and enjoying that fullness of life, will we intentionally move towards a life of devotion, doing away with distraction and duty? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the bread of life and that through him you've given us eternal life. Lord, we today acknowledge that so often we find ourselves living not out of, our, uh, not out of the fullness of that overflowing life. And Lord, we want it. So Father, I pray, would you help us by the power of your Spirit to be a people who wonder at the beauty of Jesus, who worship and delight and enjoy him, and with that overflow in our lives. I pray that you would help us to do that now as we respond in worship, and but that you would be with us uh, throughout the rest of this week, encouraging us and fueling us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.